Passionate DJ Podcast, where it's all about becoming a better DJ through passion and purpose. And now, your host, David Michael. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Passionate DJ Podcast. I'm your host, David Michael, and I'm sitting here with Tripp and Tony. We're going to talk about crowd reading. This is something that we bring up fairly frequently, but we've never really taken the time to just put together an entire episode and talk about and really dig into what what do we really mean when we say crowd reading. Um, I think everybody probably has a little bit of different approach to this and what they think it is and how they react in the moment. And so I'd like to take just one episode and kind of dig into this and figure out what this all means and get our perspectives on this. So Trip and Tony. What up? How Good are you? What you? up? Good to see you. Thanks let's for joining this. us. It's been a while, yeah, man. Let's do it. Yeah, so let's dig into this idea of, of crowd reading. And um, I, I think instead of just asking right off the bat what crowd reading is, what it means to you, um, I'm going to throw you guys for a loop and see if it works. I mean, do you guys, can you think of a situation where you've you've been at a show or a gig or something like that and you didn't read a crowd and it like it didn't work out like you had a pre-planned list i'm i'm kind of throwing you guys under the bus here mm-hmm. but you maybe you had a pre-planned list you didn't really have time to prepare whatever and you you just didn't you didn't read the crowd and like and maybe you learned a lesson do yeah, you guys have sure. any stories like that i do i mean tony it happens a lot um that's when when i started djing you know 20 plus years ago, it was in a top 40 club. So it was like, that was one of the, outside of mixing the key things that I've learned, you know. So that was uh, like a tenant that you had to learn, right? As just, it was inherent to the job. Yeah, because I mean, it was, it was top 40 music, you know, and you like, you're in an 18 and up night and you have a thousand people in there and it's, it's, they're not dancing. And back then it was about, you know, it was, it was the dance floor and, but yeah, that, so that was something that you had to have right away because that was you didn't get the job without crowd reading, right? Or right. Some some form of reacting. Yeah, you you had to be um you had to be on point with. I don't even want to say mixing or the skill that we know as a DJ. It just it was all about timing. Everybody wanted to hear the most popular song that was radio play back then. So you really couldn't play that at nine or ten o'clock at night, you know. Mm. And those those times playing those clubs, you play from nine to two thirty. You know, it's it's it, it's not an hour set it's, or it's two hour night. set, and it's all radio play music. You know, so you can't play. Now people don't care; they'll play it twice in a night and whatever. But back then, you know, you just don't play the same song twice in a night. You know, people would wait and. It, it, it was hard to explain. It was it was not. Um, did you know, like, when you got that first gig, being what it was? Did you did you know going in that this kind of crowd reading element was going to be part of your job? No, I just learned along the way. Um, I just wanted to be a DJ, you know, at the time, and I really crowd reading. None of that stuff ever even occurred to me. You know, until I started, uh, I started working with with Brian. You know, a guy that actually taught me. Um, but 
yeah, going through that experience really helped me out with crowd reading. And it was applying that to today. Um, yes, but the, I, I've because I learned it so well back then, now if I'm halfway through a set and I real or a quarter of the way through a set and I feel people aren't feeling it, you know, I can change my direction mm. pretty quick. Okay. You know, but it, and that's when I do go play a set, I don't I put thirty songs ish in a virtual crate, you know, thinking that's, you know, what will appease this night, this time slot, mm-hmm. whatever. I'll maybe put the first or couple songs in an order, you know, that I feel that's gonna be, you know, sufficient. And then the rest of it is just you know, yeah, it's like a little whatever comes to me, a little safety net to, yeah. to get get you started because you never know what you're going to run into it, at the start of a. It's of a definitely time happened through the set, though. Yeah, you know, like you can be grooving. You're 30 minutes in, people are feeling it, and then what you think is going to really take them somewhere may not take them anywhere. They may mm-hmm. look at you like I'm not really feeling this, or you you kind of get that vibe. So you have to automatically, you know, it, once you feed off that, either. Find your way out into another groove to, you know what I mean? Yeah. To keep the flow, appease them and yourself and what you're feeling at the time, you know? Yeah. Um, that's that's my feeling. But. Trip, you have a story that, that kind of relates to, to that uh, uh, dissonance between, I feel like maybe it's a case of over-preparing for a gig. Yeah, yeah. Um. Early on for me, I um, I often prepared in my entire set, mm. um, and for me that was just a mark of my inexperience. You know, I didn't want to show up somewhere and be trying to wing it, and then have you know just you know not even so much shoes in a dryer because you know beat matching is one thing, but when you're trying to blend songs together, you know. For me, I just I I didn't feel comfortable with just grabbing any two records out of my crate and then going for it, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, so I I did early on. I prepared every set, and it I think where it led for me was a combination of one losing crowds because sometimes you know you've got you know some tracks that bring people in, and sometimes you got tracks that push people out, and um, so just kind of losing crowds and not having the ability to bring them back as quickly because I didn't have the right experience to say, okay, if I, if I need to get them back, then I need to start mixing something else in now, Mm -hmm. you know, rather than waiting for the end of this record when I can bring in the next record and whatever, because by that point people are either bored, they've gone to a different room or whatever. Um, Another thing that I ran into was either, uh, my sets ran over to, you know, ran over a little bit, or I show up and you know the promoter says, "Hey, we're running a little bit behind, so we're adjusting mm-hmm. set times." And you know, so instead of sixty minutes, you're going to play for forty-five. And you know, so but yep. but but I've got a sixty-minute set. Yeah. <laughs> and if I don't play this whole set out, then the set's not going to make sense. That, that's, you know, that's people great. aren't going to get it. <laughs> yeah, know? that's great that you brought that up because that's exactly where I was going to go with that right or, off the bat. Um, 
or, uh, and, and conversely, you know, there's been, you know, uh, the DJ that's supposed to play after you didn't show up. So you, you and the guy after him are going to split the difference. You're going to play for an extra half hour and that other guy's going to play for But I only have a 60 minute set. But I only have a 60 minute set. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. You know, so when you, when you run into those types of problems, on a more regular basis, then you start to realize, well, this is either something that I need to over-prepare for every possible scenario, or I need to get more organic with my workflow. Yeah, And exactly. that's, so it was out of necessity that I started learning, okay, these types of attitudes for these types of parties, to your point, Tony, you know, because every party is going to be different. Every theme is going to be different. Where you play in a lineup is going to be different. Mm-hmm. You know, so all of those types of things, you know, you just, you, you have to really start looking at it from a psychological standpoint more so than a mechanical beat matching yeah. and set list and, and, and track selection, um, point of view. Yeah, at a certain point it's a lot more worth it to focus your effort on building that skill set rather than preparing specific scenarios Absolutely. for every never, track and you, every sound. You right. never know the mood that that your dance floor is going to be in the time that you play your track which in turn they may react differently. You know, if if you're 30 minutes in and you're, you know, you're you're playing a good groover and you know, you're into it and you're like, yeah, 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 they may, you know, be pissed off and wanting you to throw something hard at them, you know, or vice versa. But, you know, that's also back to the point of the human element in the jukebox. The jukebox will never be able to, I don't even want to say never because it will probably happen at some point (laughs) in our life, but as of right now, a jukebox cannot look into a crowd and, and feel the crowd out and say, oh, they're not feeling this song. Let me go ahead and flip on to a new song. Yeah. You know, that's, and that that's also that's reading a crowd. Yeah. You know, that's huge, huge, I feel. And I'm glad that you you guys both kind of brought up the the idea of um because we're we're talking about shows here. We're talking about live shows and mm-hmm. venues right. where right. there are people and equipment and things happen, things mm-hmm. fail, right. people don't show up, people have delayed flights. Uh, people forget their needles or headphones adapters or whatever it is. Uh, probably getting the evil eye from Tony right now. I'm not even going to look because I've done that about a thousand times at his show. <laughs> um, but this happened to me. Uh, the, the last show that I played for you guys at Three Dimensional mm-hmm. Entertainment um, where uh, I prepared most of my set list. And I don't normally do that. I Usually before a gig, what I'll do is I'll, I'll prepare a set list uh, or a playlist of stuff that I'm like, I either know, I'm pretty sure I'm going to play this tonight, um, and I'll put them in a general order of energy level so that I can kind of pick, you know, and, and have that kind of educated guess of where I'm going if I'm, you know, when I'm previewing tracks and deciding what to pick next. Um, but for this last show, so Three Dimensional throws a, uh, what they call their first Friday show. Um, so once a month on the first Friday, it's like a, a big three-dimensional local heads get together. It's big, big party, really cool shows. And I was playing this, um, and I was trying. I'm kind of evolving into a new sound. I'm, I'm kind of changing my sound up. And I, this was my first opportunity to kind of share this where I'm headed sound, and I wanted it to make an impression. So, you know, 
I wanted to make sure that there was a balance of, I want them to get what I'm trying to do, which is to take these kind of deep house sounds that I've kind of become known for locally, but giving it a little bit more grit, giving it a little bit more of this hypnotic warehousey kind of feel to bring it back to what really got me into this music in the first place, which is getting lost in that groove. Sure. You know, and I kind of got distracted by doing some more, I was doing a lot of vocals and chorusy songs and things like that because I was doing a lot of warm-up gigs for lounge, like at lounge-type shows and stuff, and it just it worked. It was getting me shows, and I had a good time doing it, but I'm kind of trying to rein that in and bring it back to, to what I love doing. Mm-hmm. And so I, I wanted to make sure I balanced that with, hey, I want to make sure this crowd is feeling it and to be able to react to it, but also I want them to hear this new sound that I'm working on. So I I prepared most of the set list and but I didn't follow it exactly and I I never do um, even if I think I'm going to right um, and I'm you know I'm really glad that I did did it this way because it uh, if I may say so completely worked I mean right um, I got a, a lot of of compliments after that show and, and your your boys always come up and say hey great job and all that but I mean a lot of people that had never talked to me before walked up to me or maybe they had heard me play before but we just never they never introduced themselves you know walked up to me and then even some you know uh, some of you guys like the friends who've been listening to me for a long time said well you did something different tonight and i was like (laughs) okay cool yeah (laughs) i was like cool they noticed you know so um as much as i push crowd reading and the idea of, of how important and how valuable of a skill that is I'm also not a Nazi about it. I realize that there are situations in which it's helpful to have to to use the tools that we have oh, for sure. to be better DJs. Well, yeah, and and you know, for uh, to to echo what both of you said, I I do the same thing. I don't go into a show and completely wing it. Um, that's I've done it before, and that sucks. Mm. Because if you're just going in and like, okay, you know, trying to feel everything out, okay, so out of a library of a few thousand songs, um, where do I start? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, you know, it's almost like anxiety of too many options. Where do I, where do I, you know, so. But you can also, you can prepare for those situations too by building playlists that are more general purpose. Like right. here's what I play at 3 a.m. at house parties. Here's right. what I play at a big dirty warehouse and kind of group them that way so you know where to pick from. Right. You know, you just struck home with me when you said house parties. As many gigs as I've played, places I've played, crowds I've played in front of, I would say my top three most memorable sets were in mine or somebody else's house with a room of five to ten close friends hanging mm-hmm. out, having a good time. Not one prepped anything, playing for two and three hours and just coming up with some of the best, right? Well, what I like to call bread and butter mixes yep. where they just talk back and forth to each other so well and, and none of it's planned, none of it's pre-planned. Right. You know, there's no... There's no um, uh, anxiety. There's no stress. There's no worry. It's a about, jam session. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. It's my most three memorable sets, and yeah. that and that is a skill on its own that not every DJ has to right. be able to to jam in that way. Right. And most of us that can 
don't do that in a live setting. Oh, at least right, not right. entirely, because right, yeah. we're we're it's it's a performance. Oh, yeah. To, yeah. There's uh, it's become so much pressure. You know, like back in the day when I played at all these top forty clubs, I was in a DJ booth back in the corner or somewhere right. where people. Now you're on a stage and people are staring at you, and it's you know what I mean. It, it's yeah, yeah. There's a lot of pressure. And it's also, I've noticed at least here here at home, um, I I will occasionally do something like that where maybe it was an unplanned thing, like if I'm at uh, EDM Tuesday or some some local night here, uh, somebody might be like, "Hey, you want to come up here and tag for a while? Do you have your laptop in the car? You got right. you got a jump drive? What's going on?" Right. And like. Sure. Yeah. Why? Why not? It's like three in the morning. I'm wasted. Everybody else is wasted. Let's do it. And some of those sets have been, I mean, really amazing sets. Even if oh, they yeah. weren't my best sets, I mean, they were good. And the crowd dug it. And they and I still was able to use that some sloshy version of my crowd reading skills. <laughs> right. Right. And it was a lot of fun. You know. So well, it's, it depends on the the context too, as as far as to how how comfortable we are doing that in front of people. Right. And I think that because we're nervous about that confrontation, we we tend to over-prepare right. or at least not develop the skills that we need to not have to do that. Yeah, um, yeah. because, I mean, when it's just me playing, like I said before, I do a, a similar version of what you guys said, you know, throw together a, a virtual crate, you know, most of the time it's either the day or the day before of try to, you know, organize everything and then, you know, put things into a general order, you know, okay, I'll play this towards the beginning, middle and end, whatever. Um, but one thing that um, will help push you to read a crowd is to tag with people that you are not a tag partner yes. with. So like, if, if, you know, if, if you and you know, your buddy Bob are, are a tag team set and you guys practice the same tag team sets all the time, well, then it's no different from you just doing your set list all the time. But if you, like you said, you know, at the end of a night, somebody says, hey, did you bring your laptop or did you bring a jump drive? Or, hey, you know, come do this with me, come do that with me. And you just plug in and go. If you form that, you know, that relationship with not just the crowd, but with the person you're tag teaming yeah, with. Yeah, because you're also reading them and right, they're reading right. you. So you're already in that mindset. You have to be. Oh, you yeah. have no choice but to be in that mindset. I got to tell you, one, one of my most memorable sets was uh, uh, Jack, Mr. Shifter, and I opened up for um, Datsik back in 2010, I think. Madison? Yep. And, and I mean, it was just an unbelievable set. This place is packed with like 800, maybe a thousand kids. I mean, rammed up to the rafters, right? And we are just on point the whole set, like just from beginning to end. And we're minimal talking. It was just more like, you know, we're just kind of looking off of each other's, Mm -hmm. you know, library playlist and then see, okay, okay, okay. Those are normally the best ones. Like if you're, if you're so locked in with somebody, whoever you're playing with, that, that you don't have to really talk to each other. I mean, you can, like, if you're like, you're about to play some melody or something like that and you want to give them a heads up or something. But I mean, and this is more, 
in the case of somebody who you're used to playing with and you right. understand them. Well, for you have that it, synergy with them. Exactly. To that but, point, one of my longtime uh, tag team partners was uh, Naughty Groove. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we played a bunch of memorable sets. I mean, because we had that that yeah. bond that that synergy like we we just we got each other we played the same style of music and we knew what to play how to play it and because we you know we we played together so much and you know we're like brothers and you know and all that stuff so it was just we we play very similarly, almost like we're one person. And when one person is on, then the other one is, you know, hyping up the crowd. And when the <laughs> other one's on, then the <laughs> other one hypes up the crowd. And it's just so. And when you find people like that who play like you do, you know, it, me and Jason never did a set list. We always just played off of each other, and yeah. it was always almost like a competition, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. how, how, you know, how can I push you a little bit harder and how can I push you a little bit harder, but we're going to the but same fr- spot. Yeah. It's friendly competition. Yeah, it's and we're it's going, pushing them for a reason. Right. We're going to the same spot and we're taking this crowd with us. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when you're doing that you're in that tagging situation, it's, it's hard to find a, a duo or a duo plus that, that works well that way because it, there, there are two things it makes you do. It makes you turn down your ego a little bit because you can't you can't mow over the other person. Right. You need to give each other space. You need to give each other some of the base EQ. And <laughs> you need to give each other some volume, a headroom. You know, right, and right. and let them take over a little bit, and you back, know when to back off and let let them crescendo or do some cool thing that they want to do. And so. Right. It makes you, you know, turn that ego thing down and make sure, hey, this is give and take. You know, we're working together here. That's right. And uh, the other side of that is it it requires you to really trust the other person that you're playing with, yeah. uh, especially if you're doing this in a live situation. The you know to where you're you're not. I know that if I go up and play, you know, with one of you guys in front of a crowd, you're not going to throw something on there that's just going to throw me off. Like right. you're not going to suddenly trip, go into drum and bass knowing that I'm not going to be able to have anything to keep up with that. Right. Right. Um, and not say anything about it beforehand. You know <laughs> right, what I mean? Right, right. So there's a trust element there At as the well. 45 minute mark. I'm going to throw you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. Wait, kid, give me a week to prepare and we can talk. <laughs> right, right. Um, I think you, you bring up a good point with trust and, and not even so, I mean, we're kind of getting off on that whole, uh, tangent of uh, you know being in a duo plus or you know if from, I think it's from, relevant to crowd rating that absolutely it's, absolutely yeah. from but from that from this side of the of the turntables when you get on the other side you know there's there when when we talk about crowd rating there's a certain level of empathy and trust that has to happen mm-hmm. between us as the performer and the crowd as the consumer of our performance and there you have to be able to trust that crowd to 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 let you know what they're into and what they're not. So you know when you when you come in, you know, and you just you start off with your first track. That that's got to be something that you know says, "Hey, I'm here." Yeah. You know, I I something has changed. I am here. I mean, there are some shows where it's you know all pretty much the same genre or whatever. So it's supposed to be more fluid and seamless. You know, from one DJ to the next. But for a lot of shows that like our three D our three DM shows, you know, it's multiple 
uh, artists of different genres. So there's a marked difference yeah. when one guy ends and the next guy starts. And when you throw that first track, if you don't get that response, well, then they're already telling you something. You know, and if, if the person before you had, you know, the whole, you know, uh, had the whole dance floor packed and then you throw your first track and you lose 30% of them, you can you can almost let that go because maybe they're just not into your genre. But once you're two, three records in, and all of a sudden, now most of the dance floor is gone, you need to do something different. And it could be the genre. You know, you never know. It, there might be a, a whole building full of house heads for the dubstep guy. You know? right. And, you know, that is what it is. But it's watch for me. It's it's trusting that if I see an ebb and a flow, or if I'm looking at people's faces out on the crowd and they look bored, or they're just kind of you know just hanging out, or they start you know conversing amongst themselves over here in the yeah. corner or something like that, I need to do something different. I, I want to get into that. Okay, that specifically. So let let's like. Put us in a scenario where, where like, like, let's imagine you're playing a first Friday show. You're playing. As a matter of fact, like that's that. exactly what happened. Okay. The, the last time that that all happened was the last first Friday show that we all played. And I knew I was coming up after a hip hop DMC champ. You know, mm. like, I mean, we're talking very drastically different styles of music. But I knew that coming into this, him being a hip hop DJ that I could play some halftime drum and bass and at least hold some fiber of people's mm. interest because a halftime drum and bass is basically it's, it's hip-hop. a break beat. Yeah. Yeah. Um, at least from a beat structure point of view. But I also wanted it to set the tone for what I was wanting from, for where I was wanting to take them. Yeah. So I picked, I, I very intentionally picked a, um, a very dark, but very bass heavy hip hoppy halftime drum and bass track. And this was, this was how I was going to make my mark. And from the time I dropped it, then all of a sudden I noticed people were coming in like, oh, yeah, that's pretty cool. You know, and, and there were some people who were already dancing mm-hmm. to spare change and they didn't leave the floor because, oh, okay, yeah. I, I'm they still it. related to it. Right. So I already knew I was on the right path. So as I go through my halftime drum and bass, well, then I start picking out some more uh, percussive, almost drum funk type of stuff so that I could get up to your full-on drum and bass you know yeah. the, that because you had an idea of where you were you wanted to go right but it's with good. the set overall but you needed to get there get there in a way that wasn't jarring absolutely which is just one big psychological exercise right? absolutely absolutely so I've got a crowd going and and you know things are starting to pick up and I started to notice as I went from the drum funk stuff more into the neurofunk which uh, neurofunk is a very hard, energetic, gritty style of drum and bass. So what ends up happening is you either hold on to the crowd because you've built them up to that and they're like, oh yeah, and you got that energy level there, 
or you start to lose people because they're like, oh God, this is exactly what I mm. hate about drum and bass. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, so uh, what I found was going on is as I was building them up to that, yeah, there I've got a few tracks into the neurofunk and I'm feeling the hell out of it because I love neurofunk. But after a few tracks of it, I started noticing that you know, some people were kind of ebbing mm-hmm. and flowing. and you know, I remember this exact moment you're yeah. talking about. So at that point, that's when I realized, okay, this is the turning point. Either I can keep ramming neurofunk down everybody's you know, throats because it's what I love, and I've got a bunch of tracks that will tear your face off, or I can try to you know, appease everybody that's here and say, okay, I ran the gamut. I started with halftime. I went into some like percussive drum funky stuff mm-hmm. to build up to my neurofunk. And now I need to put the icing on the cake. And so that's when I started flipping it around and I played a couple of tracks that still had like the neuroy kind of like um, the, the Reese bass lines and stuff like that. But it had some melodic elements to it with a little bit of vocal you know, elements as well. And then from there, then I launched into liquid drum and bass, which is much easier, much more easily consumed by a dance floor. And that's how I rode the rest of the the set out. And I had a bunch of people, not just you guys, but, you know, uh, I mean, same the same thing that yeah. you were talking about earlier. I had a whole bunch of people come up and they were like, man, that set was awesome. <laughs> Some people, I don't even like drum and bass, you know? And, <laughs> you know, and that's always a really good feeling. But could I have, if I would have just built a neurofunk set list because that's what I love and that's mm-hmm. what I wanted to put out there. If, if, I was just going to ask you, how do you think it would have played out if you yeah. jumped straight into that? Yeah, I'd have killed the crowd and then Tony would have had nobody. I was going to say, you, well, you probably, the the five or ten heads in there that were into that would have probably, oh, yeah, and jumped right out right. there and danced for a minute and then gone back outside or right. whatever right. after right. that and, right. and it would be empty. I mean, we, we've seen that happen plenty of times. It's yep. very difficult for a four on the floor to follow drum and bass Absolutely. too. It is. Because if yeah. you have or 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 a trap or a broken beat because those kids really love that and a lot of those kids that love that aren't really big on the on the the house or the just the four on the floor beat, you know? Mm-hmm. And then it, it just it you completely flip the script from that from drum and bass to a house. Plus you're you're almost always doing a huge energy energy shift when you're going from something like D and B to house. It doesn't right. matter if I mean, there's some pretty energetic house, don't get me wrong, and there's some pretty laid back D and B, but if right. we're just talking in general here, if I know I'm following a drum and bass act, I'm nervous. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, me too. Me too. I always there's a lot of times I ask if drum and bass is going on before me. Yeah. You could just for that specific reason, you know, it's, I mean, it's, I'm cool with it. It's fine. It's just, I have to build from, you know, if there's it's something you need to prepare for. Yeah. If yeah, there's 30 yeah. people, like if there's 30 people on the dance floor and 15 of them leave because those are really drum and bass heads and that's really what they want to listen to. It's, you know, it, it looks just the look of it kind of like brings the whole vibe like, Oh man. You know, yeah, right. But reading the crowd, you know, hopefully you keep the fifteen you have there, and you know, you bring some more back. 
which that that's something that's kind of worth bringing up too is um, so a lot of times if if it's not something that's so completely drastically different that I'm following, which in in most cases is usually just um, not, the promoter didn't do a very good job because they probably shouldn't <laughs> have set it up that way, but. Sure. Because uh, most people, you know, is three dimensional. You know, when you're putting shows together, you really consider the time slot, and we not do. only that, but the progression of who's following who. And- we absolutely do do that, and it's also hard because we do such mixed genre shows. Yeah, you know, our flavors definitely. We we love the tech house and the techno, but we we bring everybody from hip hop to drum and bass to breaks to you know trap and and everything. So. But yeah, yeah there is definitely planning in that. Yeah, so it's, I mean, at a certain point too, like when I'm faced with a situation like that, if it's not too ridiculously drastic, that like if I'm not doing something crazy like following a happy hardcore DJ or something <laughs> like that, which never happens anymore, but um, then I will try to find a middle ground and get from way, where they are to where I want to go. So I like I actually kind of find that fun, as long as I'm not too nervous about the gig already. Like if it's a big deal gig, I might be, but if if I'm just kind of hanging with the homies or whatever, um, I like to see. Okay, even if you're playing drum and bass, like okay, what can I do? How can I get out of this track and lead into something that they're gonna get, but is still gonna go where I'm trying to take them? Mm-hmm. Right, you know, right. and that is is difficult to do unless you have. A very versatile approach to DJing. I mean, right. it's it, it, it's it's about that flexibility, and and that's where the 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 human element comes in again. It's like, okay, what am I reading from what this person is handing over to me that I can use and start steering them where I want to take them, rather than just cutting it off. Right. And then conversely, there's also something to be said for somebody who is. Uh, mature enough to make the decision that we just need to cut this off and start fresh. And is that going to kill the vibe or is that what this needs? And that's a big decision to make that some people don't take very seriously. Right. And, and, you know, I was at a party recently where that's exactly what happened. And there was, sometimes it's the right choice. Exactly. There, there, there was a, a guy playing and it was a more, um, it was a newer, you know, bass music style and they were playing balls to the wall, you know? So, and, and to the dude's credit, I mean, you know, for that style of music, he was killing it, but it wasn't what the, what the place was feeling. So, you know, what I ended up experiencing was, you know, a bunch of people, you know, as I'm, you know, making my way through the venue and man, I can't wait for this guy to be done. I can't wait for this guy to be done. I can't wait for this guy to be done. When are you playing again? And I'm like, I don't play until later. You know? <laughs> you know? Right. That whole thing. And it just kind of became the conversation piece. Well, then all of a sudden, you know, yeah. because of the style that guy was playing, he got cut off. The next DJ comes on. And then all of a sudden it was like just a total 180 in yeah. the entire attitude of the place and an empty dance floor all of a sudden just packed full. Yep. And I've been in that exact situation many times here in town right. even. Yep, yep, yep. So let's let's imagine a scenario where we're up on a stage, we're at like a, what I would call a medium size show. Maybe we got 200 people 
active people, dance floor or close by, you know. So immediate, you know, smaller venue, not a big knockout show, but we're just at where you know, decent, maybe decent local show, that kind of thing. Um, we're standing up there. We've just taken over. Um, we've managed to get from you know, maybe they were playing techno, you're playing house, whatever, not a big deal. You're able to get to wherever you are. Mm-hmm. Once you're up there, you play your first track or two, you've introduced your sound and whatever. What do you look for? Now that you're, you're a couple tracks in, you scan out, you look out past the decks. You're not allowed to, to zoom in, all right? You're not allowed to, to stare at your jog wheels or your records right now. <laughs> right now we're looking out in the crowd. Okay. What are we looking for? What do we see and how do we react to it? First, uh, for me, it's how many people are out there versus now versus when I started. Okay. Um, if I'm losing people, then I need to also assess what else is going on. Or is this a multiple room venue? You know, mm. if, if it's a multi room venue, then who else is playing at the same time as me? Like, and those are things that I need to, you know, already have in my head a, a, yeah. ahead of time. So, like, if I'm playing tech house, but the guy in the next room is playing breaks, well, then, okay, maybe there's a lot of people that were into breaks, especially if maybe it was a drum and bass DJ before me or something yeah. like that. Or maybe there's a DJ playing in the next room that has more pull than you or right, whatever. Right, right, right. So there's that, you know, to start. But, um, you know, what 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 are... what. What do people's faces look like? You know, are they are they happy? Are they engaging with me? Like, are they are they trying to engage with me? Like, a lot of times, as I'm looking out into the crowd, you know, a lot of times people will be watching you, trying to connect with you, or you know, if they hear a song they like and they're trying to, yeah, you know, whatever, you know. So, you know, are people actually trying to make that that connection with me? Yeah, there are a lot of people out there, just as a quick sidebar, there are a lot of people out there that it's almost like they want to help you with the crowd reading. Right. Like they're like they're trying to send you messages <laughs> right, right. You know, from it, the dance floor, like, yes, do more of this. Do more of this. Exactly. I at least me, I'm loving it over here. Right. So do keep doing that. Right. You know, and the people that are out there, are they are they dancing? You know, and, and that's a hard thing. Now, especially because it's, we've talked about it before, an Egyptian lover brought it up in his interview. You know, there, there's so many people that are glued to their phones, or you know, they're more. Uh, yeah, that's in, one they're, thing they're that more, I was going to say. Yeah, they're is more like, concerned with trying to capture you playing rather than experience you playing. Mm. You know, so that that kind of takes away from the ability to connect with those people as well. Which is I I have bittersweet feelings about that yeah. because if I'm if I'm up there playing and I see a couple people pull out their phone because they want to record me doing something, right. I'm like, something, well they're, they're doing something good. Yeah, they're right, feeling right, it. Right. That's right. cool. That makes me feel good. But I get I, a little dopamine hit from that. What I don't absolutely. like is when people dance look too, down you know? and look at their phone and then they get yeah. on their phone. You know what I mean, and do this, or they're texting, or they're doing this, and then right, and then and then you've you lost just, them to their phone. Yeah. yeah. So I think there's there's a definite you know uh, line that gets crossed there. So I mean, I I absolutely love it when people take a picture of me or or take video of me and all of that stuff too. Don't get me wrong, but you know after that picture is taken and the Instagram thing goes up or you know the little post you know with a tag with me on it you know goes out. Well, then what? If I if I look over at you again in two minutes and you're still on your phone doing something else, well, then, okay, now I don't have your attention anymore. Yeah. Um, so those are the kinds of things that I look for specifically. Um, also, I look at the bar. 
I know it's mm. a really stupid thing, like, or it doesn't seem very intuitive, but if the bar is backed up, well, then that's another reason that maybe people aren't out. Yeah. Because if, if they're... If, they might just want to have that drink in their hand on the dance floor. <laughs> right, right. If so, And if you look back there and there's two bartenders trying to, you know, attend to tend to... 200 people and 50 of them all of a sudden go to the bar at the same time, well, maybe they're a little backed up. Another thing that's detached a lot of people to is cigarette smoking because you can't smoke in the clubs anymore, which, I mean, I don't smoke and I don't enjoy smelling like cigarette smoke, but that's really detached a lot of people. They want to go outside and smoke cigarettes and you just... You lose them. Yeah, yeah. You know? Technology's starting to help with that, with the whole vaping thing. But yeah. and then, of course, a lot of places are banning those too, which is like blows my mind. Even as a yeah. non-smoker, like right. you, you found the perfect solution. What I you, know. What I are would you rather doing? leave a place smelling like <laughs> fruit roll dolce, <laughs> you know, whatever, than cigarette smoke. So you know, hey guys, get off of that kick. But yeah. Um, and then another thing. Um, and it's a total psychology thing, and I I, I have to give credit um, to the person who taught it to me. But um, so thank you, Jason Brooks, aka Naughty Groove. Um, but um, early on, he taught me the the psychology of lighting on a dance floor. Oh, okay. The brighter the lights the less people tend to dance. And I would have told him that he's absolutely psycho. He has no idea what he's talking about. You know, and I totally rejected the idea because as a raver, before I started going to, or before I started DJing, you know, that was always a pull. Like, pew, 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 pew. Yeah, we've got, we've got 70,000 watt lasers. You burn a hole right in your head, you know, and all that, you know. <laughs> you know, you know, and it was just always the bigger the production, the better. And when you get... That silent gloves laser. <laughs> right. <laughs> but when you get 1,500 people in a room and they're all cram-packed and the music is right and the vibe is right and everybody's dancing, you know, it's totally counter to what he was trying to tell me. But when you're in a smaller venue, small to medium venue, and you're dealing with less than three, 400 people, all of a sudden lighting matters because nobody wants to be the, the only spotlight. person on the dance floor in the spotlight. Right. So anytime we ever played shows together um, and when we threw our own shows, if we were in any control of the light at all, or if we you know, had access to the lighting guy, we would always ask, hey, can you keep the colors darker for us? Keep them blues, keep them purples, you know, some green, you know, what, you know, of course you're going to flash other stuff, but you know, all the crazy like strobe lighting, you know, white lights, yellow lights, all of the big brighter stuff, you know, try not to do that for us because we prefer to keep, you know, keep the the lighting darker. And I swear to you, it always worked. I'm going to take us right back to uh, first Friday again, this last show that we all were involved in, because when... Uh, since you brought that up, when Tony went on to play, the first thing that happened was that, so there are screens mounted behind him. Right. And those screens clicked off. I turned the power of them off. Yeah. Did and you? It, uh, <laughs> I didn't know and, we were allowed and, to do that or I would have done it. <laughs> yeah. So I, I look up and I'm like, why did it get darker in here? Right, right. And then I saw that Tony was going and setting up and I saw him kind of turn around. I'm like, oh, he turned him off. He just went up and straight yanked the cord. Uh, no, there's a power button on the side. Yeah, I'm like, okay. Yeah. So I got a and little angry. They said, did they? Well, we want to still advertise. 
Eh, yeah, everybody's well, on the big TV down there, not yeah. these. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, so I, I, after a minute, I realized what was happening. I was like, oh, I, I see. And I didn't know if you did it because you didn't want the light on you, or if you didn't want it on the dance floor. Both. But both. The effect was that it wasn't on the dance floor, and in the club that we're talking about. Um, it's a pretty small dance floor. It's not a huge venue, and a little lighting goes a long way, especially when the fog's going. Right. Mm-hmm. And those screens really lighten up the dance floor. And when you went on and those screens went out, I felt more comfortable on the dance floor, and I had been dancing all night. Right. Um, I just immediately was like, oh, I, I can do... Because I'm the kind of person that dances for myself. I'm not an exhibitionist in that way. I, yep. you know, I don't dance for anyone else. I'm not good enough to do that. <laughs> but <laughs> I get in a groove, and I'll dance all night. Yep. And for a person like me, which is probably more typical, unless you're like in a, a b-boy group or something, um, that's the more typical case is people just want to be in their their little in zone. Their zone yeah, yeah. And it's a lot easier to do that when the lights are down, especially in uh, our era of smartphone mm-hmm. technology and, and all that fun stuff. Right. Egyptian Lover said it during that interview. Yep. You know, a lot of people don't get on the dance floor because they don't want to be put up on YouTube. Exactly. Right, right. So... Uh, what do you do uh, in the case? I'll ask you, Tony. If you're up there playing and you you've obviously made a wrong turn, you've you played something and like half the dance floor clears out, or something happens where you know it's because of something you played. Um, How do you rein that in? What's what well, goes through your head? And thank you, Native Instruments <laughs> and Tractor, because I'm I'm I'm. Somewhat quick about it. If I see that happening, I'll you know I'll let that song do its thing for a few more seconds, and then I'll create a really quick four count or an eight count loop, and I'll let it you know I'll let it loop. I'll find my next song real quick that I feel that's going to bring them back, and I start slowly mixing that in, and then you know I start you know using effects and the filters and everything just so it still seems like a seamless mix. So you react you know? pretty quickly. A- yeah, absolutely, I do. Um, and it's 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 because the you know obviously techno and tech house is a little more minimal sounds you know you don't have to worry about a lot of times you don't have to worry about being in the lead of something you know mm. what I mean yeah and you, I mean yeah you can still do that with other other genres I guess because you can use hot cues and cue points and with you know when you stripe your tracks if and you, you jump through that. the track you know then it normally jumps right on your yeah. on your marker. Um, you know, and I, I, I love technology for that, you know, because, uh, trip, like you were saying back in the day, you know, you play in a set because you had your records and all you had was that record. You know what I mean? Yeah. If people weren't feeling this part, you could, yeah, you could mix out, but you know, you can't also jump to the spot where you want to jump at any point yeah. in time or loop that piece. So, you know, it doesn't seem so... This song to this song, and back then, like you're, if you play something, like if you kind of did the same kind of approach, where we say we kind of build an initial set list and then maybe deviate from that, mm-hmm. you can do that when you're playing records, mm-hmm. but it's a little bit more panic mode yes, when you're is. in that moment because now it's like, oh, I, I, not only can I, do I have to physically look through a bunch of media yeah, and find it, I have to <laughs> manually cue it, I have to beat match it and do the whole thing, mm-hmm. but I'm only. The only thing I have accessible to me is whatever I brought in my bag today. Right. So I mean, this is this is a huge triumph of technology when it comes to DJing to just have the ability to do that 
crowd reading the right way and right. really use that tool to your advantage. Yeah. Yeah, because to Tony's point, I mean, especially like, you know, when I when I was coming up, it was trance music that I played a lot of. Yeah, me too. And that's that, what I started with. And that Same. stuff was, you know, super you know, melodic and mm-hmm. all, all the leads, yeah, and more and song chords based. and all of that stuff. So, I mean, unless you knew music theory and all of that stuff, and you know, can you know properly calibrate, you know, if I'm if this if this is a C major chord track or a C major key track, yeah. it's not at plus five, though. <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So then, okay, you know, and, and try to do the the math, um, but. You know, and, and you you could get out of it if you needed to, but it it was more obvious back then, you know, because yeah. we didn't have those kinds of tools to our advantage. Yeah, I think that's probably where where the back good old backspin came into play. <laughs> that's the the effort of DJs just all <laughs> <laughs> right, try, try something else. Yeah, but that's that's definitely what I would do though. I would definitely I would create a loop and you know go through my crate that I have right there and say, okay, this one's not working. So let me get this one real quick and, you know, create that, that beginning into that loop and try and do it seamlessly. So it, you know, it either doesn't completely lose them and brings them right back or just keeps them there. Yeah. What about you, Trip? How do you act in that situation? You're up there, you're playing a couple tracks in and then you play something and you, you know, or at least you you observe, you come to the conclusion that whatever you're playing is what's making people leave. Something happened, they didn't like it. Right. What do you do? For me, it depends on it totally depends on the genre. Mm-hmm. Um okay. so most of my most of my playlist or most of my library, I have either I have gone through and marked like um you know, drops and beginnings and, you know, mix points and stuff like that. Or I, and, or I've used mixed in key to, you know, put cue points at different energy levels and stuff like that. I've also set up, pre-set up a bunch of loops within my tracks and all of that kind of stuff. So if I'm playing techno to Tony's point or tech house, that's an excellent, uh, uh, that's an excellent method that I, I also use. I'll, find my next loop for that mm-hmm. track and then go ahead and engage that loop and then you know start working with either effects or bringing in another track over that loop and and just try to get out you know as quickly as possible but as seamlessly as possible so it doesn't seem like I'm going oh 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 sorry guys sorry that sucked I know yeah. I know that sucked okay now we're over <laughs> here now um when it's when I'm dealing with drum and bass though a lot of times uh, it doesn't sound right if I do that. I mean, you can set up a 32-bar loop and and yeah. work with that if you need to, but a lot of times that just it doesn't sound right. Right. Um, so what I'll usually try to do is um, is a, a is a, an extreme blending technique. So. I will usually let something go through a, blur, a breakdown, and if and if they're not feeling it. Okay, fine. Um, but then once I hit that drop again, then I've already got my next track picked out. Okay, and I've got that one loaded and start it from that breakdown or from that drop. And as it's as this one's coming up and this one's you know mm-hmm. already at full tilt, I'll start bringing the track that I'm trying to mix out of. I'll start by starting to scoop out the mids mm. and 
try to keep, you know, some kind of semblance of the mix going, but make the incoming track the more prominent track a little okay. bit at a time. And then, you know, start bringing down the bass and the and the highs until I've got this one at full tilt nice. and this one on its way out. We should do an EQ episode too sometime. Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, whether you're talking production or DJing, yeah. you know, 90% of how fluid something sounds is all in your EQ. Yeah. For sure. Um, so in this room, we kind of, it's kind of interesting because we all, we all have some crossover in what we play as like some similar stuff that can work with each other's sound, but Mm -hmm. we all have our own flavor. Right. And we also all, even though we're all kind of the club electronic type DJs, we all kind of cover a different spectrum of like, Tony's very locked into a particular sound. He's got a good brand of sound. Um, I have almost like a split personality where I have like club DJ David and then like lounge DJ David. And, and then you- <laughs> and out of all of us in the room, you still have a flavor in this in a similar, you know, approach, but you cover a lot more ground style wise right. than any of us in this room. So I was gonna say if you've got a split personality, then I must be schizo. schizo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so being what it is that you you cover so much ground and play so many different styles. Right. Um, you're the closest thing to a multi format DJ that we that we have in the scene, probably. Um, what? How extreme of a change are you willing to make in your <laughs> own set? Like in the middle of your own set? I've done it many a time. Um, As a reaction, I mean, though, to reading a crowd. Um, Not because like, oh, this would be really cool if I dropped to this halftime thing and then played this dubstep track and then came back into this and like not something you planned out as a trick, but like as a reaction. Oh, um, it's kind of both like this, this particular instance where uh, we threw a, uh, a New Year's Eve party in Cincinnati and that was, I was going to do the tour day EDM you know, and I was going to start one place and then end up, you know, another. And so I started with drum and bass and then broke from the drum and bass down to halftime and found a couple of like really percussive halftime things that would mix well with, you know, the really slower uh, glitch hop, type of stuff for, yeah. for at the time was really avant-garde. It was, it was very weird and glitchy and, and <laughs> stuff like that. But it allowed me to pick out some other ones that were not so yeah. weird and a little bit more easily consumable. And because Glitch Hop runs from anywhere from 80 to 120 BPM, that gave me a lot of room to play. <laughs> Well, what happened was, is once I got into the glitch hop and broke it down to the weird stuff, okay, I get it. Not everybody's going to like that. But even as I started getting into the more mainstream sound, I've noticed I'm losing people. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, glitch hop, I think as we've talked about before, um, that it's not, at the time, it was not a a popular sound. So people just, what are you playing that for? You know, whatever. But um so I had to get out of it really quick. So what I found myself doing was in the breakdowns, instead of just inching my pitch up, you know, and bringing the tempo up really uh, gradually as I had planned, I found that over the course of like three tracks, 
I cut out a bunch of, you know, this virtual crate of glitch hop that I, I wanted to play, but they weren't feeling it. So over the course of like three tracks, just some really drastic, um, you know, uh, pitch buildups to bring the tempo up during the breakdown mm. and bringing the beat up, you know, to a particular tempo until I could get into the tech house. Um, actually, I start, I went from glitch hop to Moombaton which allowed me to bring the pitch up a little bit more. And then I was into tech house and and ended like with some tech house and progressive house and stuff like that. So by the time I got there, then, you know, the tech house and the progressive house brought everybody back. But yeah, there were those few minutes there where it was like, uh, we ain't feeling this. This is weird. (laughs) So it's very interesting, like kind of where I'm going with this. You both answer fairly similarly in that you you react pretty damn quickly oh, to yeah. Yeah. negative impressions that you get from crowd reading. Yeah. Do you ever find and this is a good question for you, Tony, because you're so invested in like techno and tech house and the, the nature of that music is uh you have to be a little bit patient with it to get it. Right? Like you have to have a you can't have a short attention span, you know, and we kind of talked about that a little bit. Mm-hmm. So do you ever find that, you, do you ever find yourself conflicted that when you need to react, that maybe, like, do I need to actually react right now or do I need to give them a minute to get it? And, like, do you find yourself fight? Because I find myself fighting with that. Like, there's, maybe I need to let it ride and let them get, <clears throat> give them a chance to get it. There's there's times I do I do let it ride, but there's also, instead of getting out of the song... I'll use a high pass filter to, and that's, uh, you know, in, in techno, they cut bass out, they cut treble. So there's like little tricks that you can do. And even with, with tractor, um, with, with the effects where you can kind of create your builds and, you know, but with, with just the mixer, being able to take the bass out and, and turn and just kind of creating your own build or something off of what's already going on, mm-hmm. you know, and then bringing that bass back. So it's kind of like a small little breakdown because they're impatient. They want something new. So you have you, a lot of options. with Yeah. Techno. So you, you create yeah. that and then you bring it back and then they're like, Oh shit. All right. You know, but it's realistically the same thing, Yeah. but you just kind of trick their mind with, um, EQing the song, yeah. you know? So, yeah, I'll let it go, and I'll let that song go. But so you give them a little something, and then be like, "Okay, yeah. let's, let's try again." And, and see, give them a little something. See okay, if, let's see try if again. I can keep them or get them back interested in that song. But if not, then I'll move forward. That's a great point. So, so you're kind of like prompting them, like trying to reel them in, grab them, and they be, and then now you're giving them a chance. You got their attention. Oh, okay. Now I'm listening. Maybe they started shuffling their feet or whatever. <clears throat> Right, right. And so now you've got something. Now you can say, okay, now now that they're listening, maybe they'll get it. Yeah, because how many times have you been watching, you know, any given big techno DJ, Adam Bay or Richie Hot and any of those guys, and they just tear the bass out of the song and it's just mid and a high and it's just it's just writing and writing and writing, you know, and it's just it could even be just that song. And yeah, they bring that bass back in and everybody's like, oh shit, you know, boomer. <laughs> but it's the same thing you've been listening to, right, you know? Right. Yeah. So it's that it, context. And you yeah. know, as a, when I'm, when I'm playing techno, that's one of my favorite things to do is to, you know, just totally drop out that bass, play with your mids and highs, 
play with a high pass filter, you know, still with it, percussion. But oh just yeah, with the bass gone. Yeah, yeah, and 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 even start adding like some you know delays or you know maybe even a little reverb to kind of give it a, a different space, and and then start dropping something else on top of that, or even you know totally cut all of the stuff that you just did and bring everything back to center zero and just, you know, bring them all back. Yeah. And yeah, it, to Tony's point, it's exactly what you were just listening to, <laughs> but now you like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And the, the thing I love about that, I'm glad that was brought up is, is because I can't remember what episode it was, but I kind of talked about the way that I use effects. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm not... Real, I'm not a real big button pusher when it comes to effects, but I do use them. But I tend to try to use them as tools, and this is excellent right. use of that. Right. Hey, these effects are here, but like Tony's not up there just twiddling around just be, just for its own sake. He's right. he's using that with purpose. Right. Right. You know, and that's that's a really good pragmatic actual use of the tools that are there, not just I needed to do something sick. Yeah, you use them sparingly, you know, but still make it feel like it's part of the actual production or the song, whatever you want to call it. Just make sure that it, it like, you know, on a on a producer's level, when you throw, you know, the stuff that you throw to make songs or or not songs, I'm sorry, stems sit properly in a song. Same thing with mixing, you know, you use those tools sparingly to make it feel like it's still part of the song. You know, not like you said. Oh, check me out! You know, it's it's like, what the hell just happened? You know, it's still it's subtle, it's minimal, and it still feels like, you know, it lays right within that song. And for anybody who listens to my sets now, like usually I will throw an an exorbitant amount of flanger over top (laughs) of like probably my last track or two just for the nostalgia of being that inexperienced DJ that just wanted to flanger everything. That's true. <laughs> right. 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 Yep. <laughs> oh, God bless the DJM 500 and the flanger. <laughs> Ooh, boy. You can't unhear that flanger too. You know exactly what that particular flanger sounds like. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, any other points you guys want to bring up? I would just say anybody who's listening to this, I would say the takeaway is that, look, it, there's nothing wrong with having a set list, especially if you're that that wedding DJ and you just know which songs that, you know, somebody already wants or, you know, you... Or are required of you by Or required of you, right? Absolutely. Or if, you know, there's any number of reasons that a set list is is required and or a necessity, but if we're talking about those uh, performance DJs, whether it's EDM or hip hop or, or whatever your your thing is, there's there's something to be said for being able to react to any situation without over preparing for any situation. Don't be scared to deviate from your plan. Right, right. I mean, we've all sat here and said that we all plan to some degree. We put together a a virtual you know, crate or few of what we would like to put into a performance. I consider it a fallback. If I need something to reference and fall back to, here it is. It's a safety net. Right. It's not an instruction 
right, manual right. Or, or, you know, to-do list. Yeah. So, I mean, the takeaway for me or that I, that I hope others, you know, get from this is that we're not saying that if you are that set list DJ there, I mean, I'm not knocking you. I mean, I've, I've played, I, I used to do that and I've played before and after a bunch of those guys, a bunch of the bigger names do it today. Like, you know, they, they have a set list that they come in. Mm-hmm. This is what we're playing. There's nothing wrong with it. It's just, you know, it's, it's just like, what we've said in the past about beat matching. Right. Do you need to learn how to beat match to become a DJ? No. No, I'm sorry. You don't. Right. Not anymore. Right. And send all hate mail to triptrillington at fashiondj.com. <laughs> <laughs> you, you just don't. Now, that being said, do I think that it's worth learning? Yes. Absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. There are a lot of things you learn about DJing, about music, about timing and rhythm and everything from doing it that way. And same goes. Can can you play a functional DJ set without crowd reading? Sure, you can. Sure, but that doesn't mean it's not a worthy skill. Well, you know, of trying to develop. And 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 you learn something about yourself when when you get up on that stage. You learn a lot about why you are on that stage. And if you are up there just doing what you want to do, and you're not connecting with the people you're trying to uh, present it to, then you're either playing to the wrong crowd or you're not connecting with your crowd. And you either need to find a different crowd that wants to hear what you are putting out there as you're putting it out there, or you need to be a little more flexible and say, you know, okay, I can adjust to this because I care about what my crowd is listening to. I care about how my my crowd is feeling about my set. I care about what I'm putting out there and how it's perceived. Mm. And there's no greater feeling for me than the set where I'm nailing all the mixes and I've either recovered some lost ground with a, with a crowd or I have gained ground, ground with a crowd and locked in with them and they are that synergy is just the best word for it. There's that mm. synergy where I'm feeling them, they are feeling me, we have that relationship and I feel you know the same energy that they are feeling from me and you know then all of a sudden you see me. It, it's a very different trip <laughs> from the one who just gets up there from the first track to the one that's six or seven tracks in and all of a sudden you 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 can tell the difference. Mm-hmm. Like I'm much more animated. I'm into it. I'm singing along with the songs. I am like fist pumping and You're pointing out off people. of their energy. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. And and there's. I'm not saying that you can't pull that same thing off with a set list, but what I am saying is that for me, it's been a lot more rewarding to be able to just organically put that together. The key to happiness as a DJ is being able to find that common ground between what you want to play and what they want to hear. That's right. That's right. I think that's a good place to wrap up, gentlemen. Agreed. Thank you guys so much. Uh, Trip. what is your latest uh, project that you're working on uh, uh, production-wise? What's your last release? Is the bass industry? Yep. Uh, Bass industry. uh, There's an artist by the name of uh, Nick Moore and super talented dude. He's he's put out a bunch of really good music. Uh, a while back, he put out a EP called the Resistance EP, and Bass Industry put it put it out there to the rest of us for us to remix it. So yeah, I've is got this, a. Is that on SoundCloud? 
Uh, no. Um, it? it's a, it'll be available on Beatport, Juno, iTunes, uh, Amazon, all of, you know, all of that stuff uh, on March 14th. March 14th. Yep. I believe Juno is doing pre-orders now. So, uh, Will you do me a favor? Um, sure. Roll us out with your remix. On Absolutely. That track and also drop it in the show notes. And I'm trying to do these little calls to action for those of you guys who want to help us out. Thanks for everybody who's leaving iTunes reviews and all that kind of stuff. This time, I want to pat... He had no idea I was doing this. I know I'm putting (laughs) you on the spot, but drop it in the show notes. This time, if you love what we're doing, go uh, go listen to Tripp's remix. It'll be in the show notes at passionatedj.com. And if you like what he's putting down, click the little heart. Give him some love. Thank you guys so much, and we'll see you next time on the Passionate DJ Podcast. See you. Easy.